Hey, if you got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 22. We are continuing the, the, not just a series in Genesis, but really a series on a family. We've been talking about Abraham and Sarah uh, for the last several weeks. Every time we've met, whether it's Sunday uh, morning or Wednesday nights, we've been talking about this couple. They're probably the most known uh, couple in all of the Bible. Or 360 times Abraham is mentioned, uh, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. He is the father of the nation of Israel. He's a man that walked by faith. He was given a promise, uh, and for 25 years, he and Sarah waited for that promise. We talked last Sunday. The promise came, right? Isaac was born, um, and then uh, and then today, chapter 22. Is, uh, is probably one of the most difficult chapters to read in the Bible. It's just a story that's heavy. Um, it's, really, it's really hard to comprehend uh, what God is asking Abraham to do. And then also even probably more difficult to uh, comprehend Abraham's uh, obedience to what God's asked him to do. And so we, uh, we, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through the passage and then um, I have about five different sermons this morning. And uh, I'm going to preach all of them this morning. We'll get out just in time for dinner, right? Tonight, dinner, dinner tonight. All right, I'm just kidding. Look at, uh, look at Genesis chapter 22. Check out verse 1, and let's look at this story about Abraham and Isaac. He said, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now look, we're going to read that phrase, Take now your son, or your only son, really your only son, two other different times. When we read it, I want you to underline that in your Bible because it's like a symbol that clangs all the way through this story because it's pointing. That phrase and so many others are pointing us to God's only son, uh, his only begotten son. Look, look what it says. It says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, it got heavy already, right? So um, most of the time, all of us have heard this story for the most part in this room. This is Abraham's test to sacrifice his son. He'd waited 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. And Abraham then holds his little boy Isaac. And, and God doesn't just tell him to sacrifice him. Uh, but that's what we say. We often say, well, God, Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. But in that verse we just read, verse 2, it said that he asked him to make him a burnt offering. Now that's different. So a burnt offering starts with a sacrifice. A sacrifice is when you take the life out of something. Uh, typically it's a, an animal. Of course, even sacrificial system hasn't started yet um, in, uh, in, uh, in the Bible. And so this predates uh, all of that. Uh, so the sacrifice, uh, the burnt offering would begin with a sacrifice where the, uh, the life would be removed from Isaac. But then... If this were a bull or a lamb, after the life had been removed from that animal, the animal would be dismembered, cut into pieces. 
and then burnt. The remains of the animal would be, would be burned. That's a burnt sacrifice. So when God told Abraham in verse 2, you're going to go to the land of Moriah and you're going to offer your son as a burnt offering. He said, I want you to take the life from your son and then I want you to take that knife and dismember your son. The promise, the son that I promised you, you're going to dismember him and you're going to burn his remains. That's heavy. That's big. Um, Verse 3 is... It's one of those verses in the Bible where you look at it and you're like, it blows your mind. Look at how it starts. So Abraham rose early in the morning. There's no rebuttal. There's no God, but you said you'd give me a son. There's no words from Abraham where he tries to get out of this. He sets his alarm. For the very next morning. And his life is marked by faithful obedience to God. Whatever God says, Abraham does. And so he says, go and offer your son as a burnt offering. In verse 3 it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. I like that. Abraham's from the south. The lad and I are going to go yonder and worship. Now watch this. You want to circle this pronoun. He says, We're going to go and worship, and we... We will come back to you. Now, now hang on. How do we come back if Abraham's taken Isaac, he's going to kill him, dismember him, and burn him? How how do we come back from that? But an act of faith in Abraham's life was to rise that morning and go But the greater act of faith is believing that if he did what God told him to do, God would give him his son back. That's remarkable, church. I don't know if you can grasp how heavy this is, but the promise that Abraham felt. God, I have waited for 25 years for your promise, God, and I believe That if I give him to you, you're going to give him back. That's powerful. Look look at verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he, he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, Dad. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. That's two times you've seen that. They went together. They came to the place of which God had uh, told him, and Abraham built an altar before 
uh, there at, and, and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. Here it is, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, now watch this, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together back to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt. At Beersheba. And there's multiple messages here in chapter 22. I'm telling you, we could, I could talk all uh, morning on the faithfulness of Abraham, right? I mean, he rose early that next morning. He didn't balk. He didn't complain. He didn't, uh, he didn't whine about it. He didn't say, God, uh, why would you do this? This doesn't make sense. He just set his alarm, and he got up, and he got everything together, and he left. We could talk about the faithfulness of uh, Abraham and how uh, for 50 miles, 50 miles, he's over 100 years old. Scholars would tell us at this time in, in Abraham and Isaac's life, Isaac is either somewhere between 16 and 19 is what most scholars would say. And so he's a teenager, about to be a, a, a man, and, uh, and, and, and some Jewish scholars even have him older than that, like 30 or 35 years old. Regardless, if, a, if Isaac is 16 to 35, Abraham is ancient, right? I'm so, so he was 100 when he was born, um, and, uh, and, or 101, and now if, he's, if, if, if Isaac's a teenager, he's, he's at least 115 years old, and he has just walked 50 miles into the mountains. And how many of those steps in the journey took three days to get to the place God had told him. How many of those steps do you think he took when he thought, all I have to do is turn around and go back home? If I, I, can, just, I can change all of this by going back home. But for 50 miles, a 115-year-old man decided I'm going to be obedient. But oh, we could talk about the faithfulness of Abraham. I could talk about the faithfulness of Isaac. Listen, it said twice that they went together. A teenager, 16 to 19 years old, I believe, um, he, it was probably best he didn't know what was happening. But though he had questions, where's the lamb? Dad just said, don't worry about it, God's going to take care of it. You know, what teenager would, would walk 50 miles in the mountain with their aged father 
and not have more questions than that. I, I, we can't drive to Dallas without one of my kids saying, how much further is it, right? The, the, all we have is I, from Isaac's one question. What, what, what about the sacrifice? There's the wood, there's the fire, but what, what about the lamb? And, and dad just says the Lord will provide. Now, had he had known what was happening, I mean, I'm telling you what, Isaac could have took the old man, couldn't he? I mean, 17, 18-year-old, I mean, strong as he's going to be, out of puberty. I mean, he's got muscles coming out of everywhere. I mean, look, Abraham's so old, a a strong wind could have took him out, right? Surely a ladder. I mean, anything is an enemy of a 115-year-old. Isaac could have whooped the old guy. Isaac surely, he surely could have outrun him. I mean, this old man ain't going to catch Isaac. But yet he, he follows in obedience and faithfulness. I mean, we could talk a whole message on parenting, right? Did you notice, we just read chapter 22. Did it occur to you that Sarah's nowhere in that story? <laughs> would it be different had Sarah been there? Well, you know it would have. She'd have been chasing that old man with a knife, right? You're not taking my son. Are you kidding me? God told you what? Are you a moron? Can you imagine? But I will tell you, when, when moms aren't around, dads and their boys can have a little more fun. Amen? Look, we, uh, we, we kind of get into stuff that um, we can't always uh, hurriedly tell mom about. It's always better that she finds out a little bit later, all right? We went to Gallenberg. I've shared this story before. I don't know. I did in here, but I've shared it before. And uh, Jeb was a little bitty, probably three years old. Jake had just been, I mean, he was, he was an infant still, uh, sleeping in a little playpen. We had a condo my brother had gifted us. It was at Christmas time, and we drove, and we saw snow. We were in Gatlinburg, uh, and... Uh, and there was an indoor pool at this little condo. And so Andrea said, why don't you and Jeb go down to the pool? Jake is going to take a nap. And so y'all get out of here. And so little Jeb and I head to the pool. And uh, he said, do I need floating? No, you know, he floats. I'm with you. Dad's here. You know, we're going to have fun. And so Jeb wants to jump to me. And so I set him on the side of the pool. And he's jumping. And I'm dunking him under the water and putting him back up there. And he's spitting all the water out. And, I mean, he does this. And if you've got a, a, a toddler at home, you realize once he finds out a game, he's going to wear that thing out. And so he just jumps and jumps. And I dunk him and throw him back up there. We baptize that kid about 50 times. So I'm, I'm really, strangers are just friends I haven't met yet, right? And so um, I'm at this pool, and there's all kinds of people, and Jeb and I, we're doing this and doing that. And so I'm just kind of, I'm turning around. I'm looking to see who maybe I could talk to, you know, start a conversation with. And I'm turned around, and, and water splashes me on the back. And I realize Jeb jumped, and I wasn't looking. And when I look, he's at my feet. And so I reached down the bottom of the pool and I grabbed that little dude out of the bottom of the pool and I set him on the side and he is spitting and sputtering and blowing water out of his nose and his mouth and he starts crying immediately. I said, well, buddy, it's okay, it's okay. He said, no, daddy, I drowned it, I drowned it. I said, no, you didn't drown it. I'm telling you, everything's fine. You didn't drown it. I'm right here, everything's fine. He just kept crying. I said, jump to me, jump. He said, I don't want to play no more. I said, I'm telling you everything, but I drowned it, Daddy. And I said, buddy, I promise you everything's fine. Don't tell Mom, okay? <laughs> Listen, everything's fine. Don't tell your mom. And I'm telling you, we get back to the condo, and I'm thinking, oh, everything's cool. Man, he's forgotten about this right when he hits the door. Mama, I drowned it at the pool. <laughs> Look, if Sarah had been there, it had been different, right? You know, Jake, when he was a little bitty fella, we uh, had this four-wheeler, and 
um, Andrew is off shopping or in town or doing something. And so Jeb and I, they're a little older now, and, and they love to ride on the four-wheeler on our land. And, and, uh, but it's two of them. How do you do two? And so I had Jeb here in my lap and driving. And so I'm like, oh, how can I put Jake in here? And so I got his car seat out of my truck. And I thought, well, this is, this is really good because it's safe, right? Car seat. <laughs> safe and so I I strapped that car seat down on the front of my four-wheeler and uh, and then I I buckled that little dude in there and I'm talking about he's grinning from ear to ear right and so I get her cranked up Jeb's right here it's like I can't believe you're doing this and so we're riding around and and so the 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 faster I went the louder he got and like he was screaming so having so much fun right and so and now I would turn real sharp and his little all I could see was his little legs would flop over this way and I'd turn his way flop over this way and, and then I'd hit the brakes you know and he wouldn't come out because he's strapped in and I'm telling you we drove around like that all uh, the whole time mom was gone so I realized you know time's getting so I probably need to get this back into my truck before mom gets home and so, uh, so I unstrap him, and, and, I, and I'm putting the thing back in the truck. And I said, that was fun, right? I said, oh, it was so much fun. And can we do it some more? I said, no, no. In fact, this never happened, all right? <laughs> this never happened. And uh, don't tell your mom about this, right? And so very first thing, he gets home. You're not going to believe what we did. Dad put my car seat. <sighs> you say, well, I'm glad you haven't done anything like that with Jude. Well... Um, we bought this carrier, a luggage carrier for the top of Andrea's Tahoe. And it was one of those ones that you like, you bolt on the top and everything. And, and, uh, so the boys were out there and helping me and we we're going to go on vacation the next week or so. And so it was kind of the Griswold kind of thing. Right. And so it was a hard, it was hard, it was a hard cover and, and you could actually close that thing down and, and, and latch it really good from the outside where, you know. You couldn't open it from the inside. And so, so Jude's like, dude, Dad, can I ride in there? I was like, sure. <laughs> so I mean, this is a good idea, right? I mean, you close him up in there, he can't go anywhere. And so everything was cool. He said, let's go to Meemaw's. And so Meemaw don't live an hour away. She lives next door. And so we drove over to Meemaw's, and, and I'm banging on it, you know, make sure he's still breathing and everything. And so, uh, so we, we get to Meemaw's, and he's banging on it. It's like, let me out, let me out. So I unlatch it, and I go inside, and I, I, I get my mother-in-law to come out. And I was thinking, man, this is a great idea. And then when she comes out, he jumps out. And he said, Dad, let me ride all the way over here in this thing. That was not a smart move, not a smart move. But, you know, things would be different if Sarah had been there, right? Sarah would definitely have uh, changed the plans, not to thwart the plan of God, but, but Sarah's mom, Sarah would have probably stepped in, at least would have said something rather than just saying, arise early and go. You know, it, it's also a great story about tests of faith. This really is that. In fact, Hebrews 11 17 through 19 talk about how this is one of those moments in Abraham's life that God tested his faith. You know, God tests us in times in our life. James chapter 1 tells us that. It says, consider it joy, brethren, when you fall under various uh, trials and temptations, knowing that it's the testing of your faith that produces patience. And so we go through the circumstances of our life. God allows those things because it's the test that he wants us to 
go through, it makes us and molds us into the person God wants us to be. And so, uh, but I, I want to say something. I mentioned this Wednesday night. Ultimately, God didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Isaac's heart. He wanted Abraham's heart. This whole story is not told because God wanted Isaac to die. The whole story was told. The test was given because he had a plan for Isaac's future. He wanted Isaac's heart. And so when we look at this as being a test for Abraham, the test of Abraham really was for the benefit of Isaac. Now, if you're a parent, I want you to think about that. As our children watch us, go through difficult circumstances, seasons of difficulty, darkness, times where we just really struggle, where the circumstances of life get to be so heavy that it's difficult to stand up underneath them. It's in those moments that God wants to show your kids what a life of faithfulness looks like. It's in those moments that will, that will literally go with your children the rest of their life. They're going to walk the path you walked. And so be careful in the tests because there's people God's given you, the promises that God's given you and your children, they're watching. And I believe that test that God had placed Abraham through was for Isaac, not for Abraham. Abraham only had a few more days left, but God had a big plan for the tomorrows of Isaac's life. So there's four sermons right there. Faithfulness of Abraham, faithfulness of Isaac, the, uh, the parenting lessons that we can learn from this, and, and, and even the test, the test of faith. But I believe when I read chapter 22, it is amazing to me the picture of the gospel that is painted so clearly in Genesis chapter 22. Now, you, years ago, you wouldn't go to take a, a picture um, at a studio with a photographer. You would hire an artist to paint your portrait. They would take oil uh, paints and brushes and canvas, and they would put your likeness on a canvas, and that would be your uh, portrait. It would be a picture from, uh, of just your face. And, and incredible artists can, can paint with such detail to make... The, the person uh, matched the painting or make the painting match the person. It, it's incredible that you could look at someone and, and, and literally paint them. Now, I have seen some um, that, you know, you look at them like, oh, man, maybe, you know, not, you, like this is a picture of them. Oh, that doesn't look anything like them, right? But then there's some that you just look at and, and there's great detail. It's almost as if they would be looking in a mirror because the artist is that talented. Now, when we had gone on a vacation, you, you've ever been to one of those, um, I think I have them like at Six Flags at Disney World and different places you go, um, they have those artists that paint caricatures of you. And they make their body about this big and their head's about this big, you know. And they accentuate all of the, uh, the, the details, but not really the significant details. They'll look at a person, if they have a scar, it's like the scars. If they have a mole, it's like a big old mole. They like accentuate all of those, the little things. And we had had one of these done of, of myself. And it was early on. Um, I think it was just Andrew and I um, there. And, and uh, when we got married, I had already exhibited some uh, premature um, balding as a young man and 
um, and it, my hairline was receding, and, and I had a widow's peak. And I'm talking about it came to a big, sharp point. In fact, uh, Caroline Shaw, uh, when she was a little girl, she said, Brother Gavin, it's so cute. I like it. It makes your face look like a heart. <laughs> I shaved my head right after that. Compliment. <laughs> Um, but I was sitting there in front of this artist who was drawing my caricature, body about this big, head was about like this, and I'm talking about huge widow's peak. I'm talking about it was just like, it was like the only, when you looked at it, that's all you saw was like this big point, this hairy point on my forehead. So that's horrible. Well, when I was younger, before I had grown this goatee to cover up my chin, uh, I got picked on. When I was in school, because my chin kind of protrudes. You can't see it because I've covered it up with hair. But, it, I mean, you get a profile, my chin kind of pokes out a little bit like this. You know, when this caricature, this guy pointed this big old widow's peak and this big, huge chin. I was like, I don't know where you went to school, but you need glasses, right? I mean, this guy was horrible. But let me show you what it looked like. It looked like a mix of these two people right here. You put Mac tonight together with Eddie Munster, and that was my caricature, right? That looks nothing like me. You put those two together, there's nothing like me. So sometimes there's paintings and portraits of people, and you look at him, you're like, I don't know what he saw. That, that's not, that doesn't resemble. But then there's sometimes you look at him, you're like, man, it is as if they took a picture of, of that individual. What, what you just read in Genesis chapter 22, it is as if somebody 1,500 plus years prior took a picture, a digitized picture of the gospel and, and from, from, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they took this picture and they placed that picture right in Genesis chapter 22. And as we walk through this, you're going to see Jesus in every one of these details. For instance, the first thing that we notice is, is Isaac. Isaac was born in a rather unique way. Um, in fact, you, would, you could say that his birth was miraculous, right? I mean, he has aged parents. His mother who was barren for years. Um, it wasn't until she was 90 that she conceived him. Um, never had had a child before. Um, and, uh, and, and he was born pretty much miraculous. A promised birth. For 25 years, he'd been, they'd been, the parents had been given a promise. And month after month after month, they waited. They waited with expectation, wondering when her body would change, wondering when this would, promise would be fulfilled. And yet nothing. The Lord Jesus, in really kind of the same way, for years, the promise of his coming. Micah would talk about it, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah would say that he would be born of a virgin. And all throughout the Old, or the Old Testament, Daniel would talk about the time in which he would be born. Promise after promise after promise would be given uh, as to the birth of this promised Messiah, the one who would come. And then when he shows up, his birth was really miraculous. It was immaculate. I mean, God placed himself in the womb of a virgin, not an elderly couple like Abraham and Sarah, but a, a, a young girl, a teenage girl who had never been with a man before. And, and here the promise of God would show up, and his birth was really a, a lot like Isaac's, miraculous. But then his life, when we look at Isaac's life, you know, we don't have a whole lot. He was born, uh, last Sunday we talked about his birth, but then there's really nothing about Isaac's life until this story, and he's a teenager. You get no details of him, uh, you know, running around the house as a toddler. You don't have any stories of him, uh, you know, 
terrorizing other kids in the neighborhood. You don't have any stories of, of him just kind of growing up and being with dad and walking with dad. And the very next time you see him, he's going to be sacrificed, maybe 19 years old. But what do you hear about him? What do you see? This young man was completely obedient to his dad. His dad was the physical representation of his heavenly father here on this earth. Isaac surrendered in complete obedience to the authority of Abraham. He did, he went wherever Abraham said, he did whatever Abraham told him to do. He is known for his obedience. Look at Jesus. Jesus came to this world and he is known for his perfection. Completely obedient to the will of his father. Constantly uh, pursuing to do his father's will. Um, and he came here uh, to offer himself to die. And he fulfills that. And yet Isaac in Genesis 22 paints a very vivid picture of the Lord Jesus. How he came and he lived in complete obedience. But then his death. Now, I know Isaac didn't die, but the things that lead up to his potential death, maybe he didn't catch them all, so I want to read them to you. It's really fascinating. Look at what it says. It says, in verse 2, take now your son, your only son. Do you realize that Jesus was God's only son? It says it in John chapter 3, verse 16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Three times we read that same phrase when it shared this story and painted this picture in Genesis 22, your only son, your only son, your only son. Where do you want me to take him, God? Take him to Moriah. Well, where's Moriah? You just go and I'll show you. And what's fascinating, it took three days, uh, 50 miles, traveling up into the mountains to get to the place of Moriah because there's a mountain in Moriah that's called Mount Moriah. And so when they get there, Abraham builds an altar and he's about to sacrifice his son, his only son, on Mount Moriah. Is, is that place really that significant? Well, I'm glad you would ask that question because in just a few chapters into the Bible in Second Chronicles, we know that there was a king the second king in Israel, his name was David. He was a man after God's own heart. He really desired for God to have a place, for the temple to be built, for God's presence to dwell. And so he didn't get to build the temple, but he had found the place and he had started uh, uh, stockpiling the materials to build the temple. And so David's son Solomon would build the temple in the place that his father had found using the materials that his father had gathered. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, listen what it said. You're not going to believe this. It says, now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father, David. And so Solomon would go, and he would shear the top, the, the, the crest of that mountain off to make it flat in about a 37-acre square, and he built the... Uh, the temple on top of that 37-acre flat piece that was the, the mountain of Moriah. 
Now, there was a ridge that would come off that big spot, and it would kind of hook over here, and there was another knoll. All of this was Mount Moriah, but this little old ridge, Solomon didn't level that all. It made a little ridge and then a small little hill uh, off to the side, and, and it would be that, that, that place where the temple would be built, and for decades, for centuries, they would worship and sacrifice animals there because that's where God's presence was. Abraham brought his son years ago to sacrifice on Mount Moriah. David would, would pick the place and Solomon build the temple and, and year after year after year, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals would die as sacrifice in that place. And then one day, uh, one would come, the Lord Jesus, and he would be marched out of that city off that 37-acre plot of land and down this little ridge to a little knoll on that ridge. It was called the Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it literally was on Mount Moriah. That God told Abraham to go to Mount Moriah. I have a place for you to do this because I've already said it in my plan that one day I'm going to take my son, my only son, and I'm going to sacrifice him on that same mountain. Now, now watch the details of this story and how it unfolds. They go for a three days journey. It took them three days to get from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. It took the Lord Jesus three days to get from the cross to the empty tomb. In fact, Abraham, uh, in uh, verse 6, it says that so Abraham, when he told the, the two young men that were with him, uh, the lad and I are going to go further, you stay here, we'll be back. Verse 6 says, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid the wood on the back of his son, Isaac. Isaac carried the wood to the place of Mount Moriah. All those years later, the Lord Jesus would carry the wood where he would be sacrificed on that same mountain. We keep reading. Isaac asked the question, Dad, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the lamb? Did you hear what he said? The Lord himself the Lord will provide for himself the lamb. It's in verse 8. Literally, Isaac asked a question. Jesus asked a question. My God, why have you forsaken me? God, where's the lamb? The Lord will provide for himself the sacrifice. Literally in Hebrew, the word for is not there. Read it without the word for. Watch this. The Lord will provide himself the sacrifice. Literally, God himself will be the sacrifice. That's what Abraham said to Isaac. And all those years down on that same place, in that same mountain, and there on Moriah, God, his only son, the Lord Jesus, would come, and God himself would provide himself as the sacrifice. He would carry his own wood there to that hill to be, die, to, to be crucified on. In verse 9, it says that when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order, and he, he attached his son to the wood. He bound Isaac to the wood. All those years later, in that same place, the Lord Jesus, God's only son, would carry the wood, and he would be attached to that wood. 
And just about the time Abraham is about to thrust the knife into the chest of his promised son, his only son, God from heaven spoke and said, do the boy no harm. And I want you to see that. The Bible says in verse 13, after God said, do the boy no harm, it says that Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked. And behind him was a ram. Now a ram is an adult male lamb. An adult male lamb. All those years on that same mountain, God would provide himself the sacrifice and it would be an adult male lamb. You say, I thought Jesus died. He did. But do you remember when Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist, his cousin, had followers and he pointed to Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That, that same mountain, God would bring his son and he would offer his son as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, an adult male lamb. Watch this. You ain't ready for this. There was a ram and it was caught in a thicket by its horn. An adult male lamb crowned in thorns. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'll tell you what. This isn't a caricature of Jesus. This is as vivid of a picture of the gospel as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had painted for us. It is as if Abraham were there at the crucifixion and all of the details of this story, God was playing them out prior to sending his own son. It was a promised birth. It was obedient life. It was a sacrificial substitution death. But, but watch this. It's, it's a picture of the resurrection. You see it back there in verse 5. When Abraham is leaving with Isaac, the two witnesses, the two servants are there. And he says, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back. Now, did he think he would chicken out? Did he think he'd get over there and not follow through? No, this is a man who woke up early by an alarm, traveled 50 miles up a mountain carrying all kinds of things. He knew he was going to do what God had called him to do. But the writer of Hebrews says this. I want you to... I want to read it to you. Write it down. It's Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19. It says, For by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Listen to verse 19. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He knew that if he did what God had asked him to do and he sacrificed his son and dismembered his body and burnt the remains that God was going to resurrect him on that mountain. He knew it so surely, he told the men that he left, we will be back together. We're going up there and we're going to worship, but we will come back to you. Just wait. I'm telling you what, this is a vivid picture of what the Lord Jesus did. A three-day event from his crucifixion to his resurrection. And the Lord Jesus is not dead anymore. He was victoriously 
resurrected, alive. Now watch this. One other thing, one other thing, and I know I got to get done. This is a picture of a return. Look at verse 18 or 19. It says, so Abraham returned to his young men. All of this happened on the mountain, and they returned. They came back. You say, well, that, that's pretty incredible. But if, if you were to read chapter 23, we'll study that Wednesday night. Isaac was born, and for 16 to 19 years, you hear nothing about Isaac. Isaac walks up a mountain 50 miles with his father, lays on a, uh, an altar, nearly loses his life, and then chapter 23, you turn chapter 23, guess what it says about Isaac? Nothing. What happens in chapter 23? Isaac's mama dies in chapter 23. I'm going to tell you what, I know Isaac loved his daddy, but if Isaac's like me, he was a mama's boy. And I'm telling you what, I held my mama's hand when she left this earth. For hours, I sat by her side knowing that she was going to take her last breath in those moments. And I sat in an ICU room at Willis Knighton uh, North at Greenwood Road, and I held my mama's hand. It was nine years ago this past week, and I held her hand as she breathed her very late. You can't tell my mom's last chapter of her life without mentioning my name. I, w- I was inseparable from her from that moment. I wanted to be there. When, when I held one hand and Jesus took the other, I want, it was one of the sweetest moments I've ever experienced. Where's Isaac? Chapter 23, Sarah dies. He's not even mentioned. What, what's up? There's a purpose behind that. There's something that's bigger there. It's what's not there. He vanishes. In fact, if you were to continue reading, you don't find Isaac's name mentioned until the end of chapter 24. What happens in chapter 24? Abraham is an old man, sends his servant, Eleazar, to go and find a bride for his son Isaac. Eliezer goes off on a journey, a far journey, and he finds Rebekah. And all the way back, he's telling Rebekah, I can't believe you're going to love Isaac. I know you've never seen him, but you're going to love him. You're going to want to spend all of your life with him. And, and Eliezer, I can't tell you everything. I'm going to tell it all next Sunday. But, but, but this is a, Eliezer, who is a picture of the Holy Spirit, has gone out to the world to find a wife for Isaac. And the end of chapter 24, he brings her back to Beersheba, and guess who sees her? Isaac, and he comes to her. And, and that is a, that's a picture, church. Jesus Christ has come, and he has died for his bride, and the Holy Spirit is going out, and he is finding the bride out here in this world, and he is finding you, and he's telling you, I know you haven't seen Jesus, but you're going to love him. I know, I know you can't see him, but if you will fall in love with him, one day he'll return and get his bride. See, this picture paints vivid details of everything about the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We have been waiting for his return. I don't know why he hadn't come back. I think it's probably because you haven't trusted him yet. And he needs you to be a part of the bride. Why don't you give your life? to King Jesus. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Father, that Jesus, King Jesus, came to die in our place.
He lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death that substituted my death, his death for mine. And God, I'm so grateful, Lord, that he loves us enough to pursue us. And God, today he's pursuing those in this room to be his bride, to be a part of the bride of Christ. And God, he's going to return. He's going to come back. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we'll be ready for his return. If there's anyone in this room who's not ready, God, let today be that day. We give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church.